Welcome to Ancient Eclectic, where we peruse the writings of the past to help us to understand and enjoy the present. Today we will be continuing our reading of the ancient Greek epic poem, The Iliad, attributed to Homer, translated by Samuel Butler, read by Richard Best. These, then, went on board and sailed their ways over the sea. But the son of Atreus bade the people purify themselves. So they purified themselves and cast their filth into the sea. Then they offered hecatombs of bulls and goats without blemish on the seashore, and the smoke with the savor of their sacrifice rose curling upwards toward heaven. Thus did they busy themselves throughout the host. But Agamemnon did not forget the threat that he had made Achilles, and called his trusty messengers and squires, Talthebius and Eurybates. Go, said he, to the tent of Achilles, son of Peleus. Take Briseis by the hand and bring her hither. If he will not give her, I will come with others and take her, which will press him harder. He charged them straightly further and dismissed them, whereon they went their way sorrowfully by the seaside, till they came to the tents and ships of the Myrmidons. They found Achilles sitting by his tent and his ships, and ill-pleased he was when he beheld them. They stood fearfully and reverently before him, and never a word did they speak, but he knew them and said, Welcome, heralds, messengers of gods and men. Draw near. My quarrel is not with you, but with Agamemnon, who has sent you for the girl Briseis. Therefore, Patroclus, bring her and give her to them. But let them be witnesses by the blessed gods, by mortal men, and by the fierceness of Agamemnon's anger, that if ever again there be need of me to save the people from ruin, they shall seek and they shall not find. Agamemnon is mad with rage and knows not how to look before and after that the Achaeans may fight by their ships in safety. <clears throat> Patroclus did as his dear comrade had bidden him. He brought Briseis from the tent and gave her over to the heralds, who took her with them to the ships of the Achaeans, and the woman was loath to go. Then Achilles went all alone by the side of the hoar sea, weeping and looking out upon the boundless waste of waters. He raised his hands in prayer to his immortal mother. Mother, he cried, you bore me doomed to live but for a little season. Surely Jove, who thunders from Olympus, might have made that little glorious. It is not so. Agamemnon, son of Atreus, has done me dishonor and has robbed me of my prize by force. As he spoke, he wept aloud, and his mother heard him where she was sitting in the depths of the sea, hard by the old man, her father. Forthwith she rose, as it were, a gray mist out of the waves, sat down before him as he stood weeping, caressed him with her hand, and said, my son, 
Why are you weeping? What is it that grieves you? Keep it not from me, but tell me, that we may know it together. Achilles drew a deep sigh and said, You know it. Why tell you what you know well already? We went to Thebe, the strong city of Aetion, sacked it, and brought hither the spoil. The sons of the Achaeans shared it duly among themselves, and chose lovely Chryseis as the mead of Agamemnon. But Chryses, priest of Apollo, came to the ships of the Achaeans to free his daughter, and brought with him a great ransom. Moreover, he bore in his hand the scepter of Apollo, wreathed with the suppliant's wreath, and he besought the Achaeans, but most of all the two sons of Atreus, who were their chiefs. On this the rest of the Achaeans with one voice were for respecting the priest and taking the ransom that he offered, but not so Agamemnon, who spoke fiercely to him and sent him roughly away. So he went back in anger, and Apollo, who loved him dearly, heard his prayer. Then the god sent a deadly dart upon the Argives, and the people died thick on one another, for the arrows went every whither among the wide host of the Achaeans. At last a seer in the fullness of his knowledge declared to us the oracles of Apollo, and I was myself first to say that we should appease him. Whereon the son of Atreus rose in anger and threatened that which he has since done. The Achaeans are now taking the girl in a ship to Chrissy and sending gifts of sacrifice to the god, but the heralds have just taken from my tent the daughter of Briseus, whom the Achaeans had awarded to himself. Help your brave son, therefore, if you are able. Go to Olympus, and if you have ever done him service in word or deed, implore the aid of Jove. Oft times in my father's house have I heard you glory in that you alone of the immortals saved the son of Saturn from ruin, when the others, with Juno, Neptune, and Pallas Minerva, would have put him in bonds. It was you, goddess, who delivered him by calling to Olympus the hundred-handed monster whom gods call Briarius, but men Aegeon, for he is stronger even than his father. When therefore he took his seat all glorious beside the son of Saturn, the other gods were afraid and did not bind him. Go then to him, remind him of all this, clasp his knees, and bid him give succor to the Trojans. Let the Achaeans be hemmed in at the sterns of their ships and perish on the seashore, that they may reap what joy they may of their king, and that Agamemnon may rue his blindness in offering insult to the foremost of the Achaeans. Thetis wept and answered, My son, woe is me that I should have borne or suckled you. Would indeed that you have lived your span free from all sorrow at your ships, for it is all too brief. Alas, that you should be at once short of life and long of sorrow above your peers. Woe, therefore, was the hour in which I bore you. Nevertheless, I will go to the snowy heights of Olympus and tell this tale of to Jove, if he will hear our prayer. Meanwhile, Stay where you are with your ships, nurse your anger against the Achaeans, and hold aloof from fight. 
For Jove went yesterday to Oceanus, to a feast among the Ethiopians, and the other gods went with him. He will return to Olympus twelve days hence. I will then go to his mansion, paved with bronze, and will beseech him. Nor do I doubt that I shall be able to persuade him. On this she left him, still furious at the loss of her that had been taken from him. Meanwhile Ulysses reached Chrysi with the hecatomb. When they had come inside the harbor, they furled the sails and laid them in the ship's hold. They slackened the forestays, lowered the mast into its place, and rowed the ship to the place where they would have her lie. There they cast out their mooring stones and made fast the hawsers. They then got out upon the seashore and landed the hecatomb for Apollo. Chryseus also left the ship, and Ulysses led her to the altar to deliver her into the hands of her father. Chryseus, said he, King Agamemnon has sent me to bring you back your child and to offer sacrifice to Apollo on behalf of the Danans, that we may propitiate the god who has now brought much sorrow upon the Argives. So saying, he gave the girl over to her father, who received her gladly, and they ranged the holy hecatomb all orderly around the altar of the god. They washed their hands and took up the barley mill to sprinkle over the victims, while Chryseis lifted up his hands and prayed aloud on their behalf. Hear me, he cried, O God of the silver bow that protectest Chrysi and holy Cilia, and rulest Tenedos with thy might. Even as thou didst hear me aforetime when I prayed, and didst press hardly upon the Achaeans, so hear me yet again, and stay this fearful pestilence from the Danans. Thus he did pray, and Apollo heard his prayer. When they had done praying and sprinkling the barley meal, they drew back the heads of the victims and killed and flayed them. They cut out the thigh bones, wrapped them round in two layers of fat, set some pieces of raw meat on the top of them, and then Chryseis laid them on the wood fire and poured wine over them, while the young men stood near him with five pronged spits in their hands. When the thigh bones were burned and they had tasted the inward meats, they cut the rest up small put the pieces upon the spits, roasted them till they were done, and drew them off. Then, when they had finished their work and the feast was ready, they ate it, and every man had his full share, so that all were satisfied. As soon as they had had enough to eat and drink, pages filled the mixing bowl with wine and water and handed it round, after giving every man his drink offering. Thus all day long the young men worshipped the god with song, hymning him and chanting the joyous paean, and the god took pleasure in their voices. But when the sun went down and it came on dark, they laid themselves down to sleep by the stern cables of the ship, and when the child of morning, rosy-fingered dawn, appeared, they again set sail for the host of the Achaeans. Apollo sent them a fair wind, so they raised their mast and hoisted their white sails aloft. As the sail bellied with the wind, the ship flew through the deep blue water, and the foam hissed against her bows, and she sped onward. When they reached the wide-stretching host of the Achaeans, they drew the vessel ashore, high and dry upon the sands, set her strong props beneath her, and went their ways to their own tents and ships. 
But Achilles abode at his ships, and nursed his anger. He went not to the honorable assembly, and sallied not forth to fight, but gnawed at his own heart, pining for battle and the war cry. Now, after twelve days, the immortal gods came back in a body to Olympus, and Jove led the way. Thetis was not unmindful of the charge her son had laid upon her, so she rose from under the sea and went through great heaven with early morning to Olympus, where she found the mighty son of Saturn sitting all alone upon its topmost ridges. She sat herself down before him, and with her left hand seized his knees, while with her right she caught him under the chin and besought him, saying, Father Jove, if I ever did you service in word or deed among the immortals, hear my prayer and do honor to my son, whose life is to be cut short so early. King Agamemnon has dishonored him by taking his prize and keeping her. Honor him then yourself, Olympian lord of council, and grant victory to the Trojans till the Achaeans give my son his due and load him with riches in requital. Jove sat for a while silent and without a word, but Thetis still kept firm hold of his knees and besought him a second time. Incline your head, said she, and promise me surely, or else deny me, for you have nothing to fear, that I may learn how greatly you disdain me. At this, Jove was much troubled and answered, I shall have trouble if you set me quarreling with Juno, for she will provoke me with her taunting speeches. Even now she is always railing at me before the other gods and accusing me of giving aid to the Trojans. Go back now, lest she should find out. I will consider the matter, and will bring it about as you wish. See, I incline my head that you may believe me. This is the most solemn token that I can give to any god. I never recall my word, or deceive, or fail to do what I say when I have nodded my head. As he spoke, the son of Saturn bowed his dark brows, and the ambrosial locks swayed on his immortal head, till vast Olympus reeled. When the pair had thus laid their plans, they parted, Jove to his own house, while the goddess quitted the splendor of Olympus and plunged into the depths of the sea. The gods rose from their seats before the coming of their sire. Not one of them dared to remain sitting, but all stood up as he came among them. There, then, he took his seat. But Juno, when she saw him, knew that he and the old merman's daughter, silver-footed Thetis, had been hatching mischief, so she at once began to upbraid him. Trickster, she cried. Which of the gods have you been taking into your counsels now? You are always settling matters in secret behind my back, and have never yet told me if you could help it one word of your intentions. Juno, replied the sire of gods and men, you must not expect to be informed of all my counsels. You are my wife, but you would find it hard to understand them. When it is proper for you to hear, there is no one God or man who will be told sooner, but when I mean to keep a matter to myself, you must not pry nor ask questions. 
Dread son of Saturn, answered Juno, what are you talking about? I? Pry and ask questions? Never. I let you have your own way in everything. Still, I have a strong misgiving that the old merman's daughter, Thetis, has been talking you over, for she was with you and had hold of your knees this selfsame morning. I believe, therefore, that you have been promising her to give glory to Achilles and to kill much people at the ships of the Achaeans. Wife, said Jove, I can do nothing but you suspect me and find it out. You will take nothing by it, for I shall only dislike you the more, and it will go harder with you. Granted, it is as you say. I mean to have it so. Sit down and hold your tongue, as I bid you, for if I once begin to lay my hands about you, though all heaven were on your side, it would profit you nothing. On this, Juno was frightened, so she curbed her stubborn will and sat down in silence. But the heavenly beings were disquieted throughout the house of Jove, till the cunning workman Vulcan began to try and pacify his mother Juno. It will be intolerable, said he, if you too fall to wrangling and setting heaven in an uproar about a pack of mortals. If such ill counsels are to prevail, we shall have no pleasure at our banquet. Let me then advise my mother, and she must herself know that it will be better to make friends with my dear father Jove, lest he again scold her and disturb our feast. If the Olympian thunderer wants to hurl us all from our seat, he can do so, for he is far the strongest. So give him fair words, and he will then soon be in a good humor with us. As he spoke, he took a double cup of nectar and placed it in his mother's hand. Cheer up, my dear mother, said he, and make the best of it. I love you dearly, and it should be very sorry to see you get a thrashing. However grieved I might be, I could not help you, for there was no standing against Jove. Once before, when I was trying to help you, he caught me by the foot and flung me from the heavenly threshold. All day long, from morn till eve, was I falling till at sunset I came to ground in the island of Lemnos, and there I lay with very little life left in me, till the Scythians came and tended me. Juno smiled at this, and as she smiled, she took the cup from her son's hands. Then Vulcan drew sweet nectar from the mixing bowl and served it round among the gods, going from left to right, and the blessed gods laughed out a loud applause as they saw him bustling about the heavenly mansion. Thus, through the live-long day to the going down of the sun they feasted, and every one had his full share, so that all were satisfied. Apollo struck his lyre, and the muses lifted up their sweet voices, calling and answering one another. But when the sun's glorious light had faded, they went home to bed, each in his own abode, which lame Vulcan with his consummate skill had fashioned for them. So Jove, the Olympian lord of thunder, heed him to the bed in which he always slept. And when he had got onto it, he went to sleep with Juno of the Golden Throne beside his side.
Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of Ancient Eclectic. Come back tomorrow as we continue reading the ancient Greek epic poem, The Iliad. In the meantime, check us out on Instagram, where we post quotes from ancient writings and share our thoughts. Link is in the description.